And now he's got me down as the greatest president in the history of our country. Donald Trump's been president now three years. How's he doing? Lots of people say he is dumb and racist. Guilty of rampant corruption. Arrogantly marching us towards fascism. The worst president in the history of the United States. Yet others say President Trump saved the United States of America. One of the smartest, most clever, and successful negotiator presidents of all time. Wow. The reactions remind me of that Clint Eastwood movie. Let's look at Donald Trump. The good, the bad, the ugly. America's economy is booming. There's plenty of good. Black unemployment hits a record low. Democrats had predicted disaster. Trump would throw us back into recession. And that recession would have no end in sight, said Paul Krugman. Instead... The U.S. stock market has surged to record highs. The U.S. economy is doing so well. So well, I think, because President Trump... Massively reduced job-crushing regulations. Two, three... I wouldn't call it massively. Businesses still face thousands of burdensome rules. But Trump signaled that government will not automatically crush you if you try something new. And because of that, more than six million Americans were hired. The president has said this is a great economy. It is. Unemployment's at a 50-year low. The unemployment rate did fall during Obama's presidency, too. But for most of those years, fewer Americans chose to even look for work. That's the red line on this graph. People gave up, dropped out of the labor force. When Trump was elected, that changed. More people applied for jobs again. Why? I think it's because government stopped telling people, you're victims of an unfair system. You need handouts to survive. The new message was, most of you can get a job. You don't need welfare. We're getting Americans off of welfare and back into the workforce. That's a great thing. Even disability claims, which had been steadily rising, started to fall. Disability applications plunging. In addition. No president in recent history has done more to really reshape the judiciary. Trump appointed judges who tend to rule in favor of free speech and private property. All good. On the other hand, Trump's done plenty of bad. President Trump withheld hundreds of millions of dollars in military aid to a strategic partner at war. Trump does things like that and then denies he did anything wrong. That call was perfect. It couldn't have been nicer. Trump lies about all sorts of things. We had the biggest audience in the history of inaugural speeches. He kept saying that even after his staff told him it wasn't true. The biggest ever to watch an inauguration address. And Trump broke promises about ending America's wars. Bring our soldiers back at least he hasn't started new wars like his predecessors did. But today, we're dropping more bombs on Afghanistan than any time over the past 10 years. And then there's the spending. Are you going to cut spending? I'm going to cut spending. And we're going to cut spending big league. But he did the opposite. Trump signed a massive spending bill that adds hundreds of billions of dollars to the deficit. That's one area that someone could say the president hasn't delivered on his promises. This congressman is a President Trump supporter, but he's upset that Trump went along with a big increase in the national debt. When Davidson complained to his fellow Republicans, he found with Trump president, suddenly Republicans didn't care about debt.
I need more money. Davidson wished Trump would do what the baseball executive did in this movie. Billy Bean comes down into the dugout after the game where they've just lost and they've got music on and people are dancing and partying and he takes a bat, smashes the, the, uh, the boom box and says, That's what losing sounds like. And there's just not a sense that we're, we're losing on spending. Funding increases for high quality child care. Now Trump proposes new spending increases mostly on the military, though his new budget plan would slow the growth of big welfare programs. He knows that won't get through Congress. We are on a path to bankrupting our country. On top of that, I put the big tariffs on. Trump says absurd things about trade. With China, we are losing right now 500 billion, with a B, billion dollars a year. He's telling people trade isn't win-win. There's a winner and a loser. I. I don't think he understands it. He's got a metaphor that the average American understands. But it's a wrong metaphor, right? It is technically inaccurate. And then there's the ugly. You little pencil neck. Trump is often a bully. Dummy. Pathetic guy. Low IQ individual. That guy's got a serious weight problem. Go home. Some of his words have certainly been ugly. What about that? He's just like a three-year-old. Look at me, I'm the best. I'm an extremely stable genius. We're supposed to outgrow that narcissism when we're an adult. He's a bully. This is all baked into Donald Trump. He is true to who everyone knows Donald Trump as. And they love him anyway. And you love him anyway? I do. People don't always love Donald Trump's words, but his deeds as president, his policies have been great. And the results are measurably great. Some are, some are not. Either way, odds are we're going to see a lot more of President Donald Trump because, as I record this, he's favored to win re-election. I hope we get more of the good Trump and less of the bad and the ugly. I hope you share and like this video if you want to help us make more. Click that button. We need police and law to keep us safe. There is a real role for the government to play when we're talking about keeping people safe from actual criminals, people who commit murder, robbery. Rafael Manguel of City Journal is a tough on crime guy. A lot of crime is committed by the people who are getting out of prison. But now he also argues. There are a lot of laws that don't actually keep people safe, yet still have criminal teeth. For example, there's a federal prohibition on walking a dog on a leash longer than six feet on federal property. It is a jailable offense. Criminal law has exploded in size and scope. There are already a ton of criminal laws on the books. 300,000 plus. That's just federal. It's way, way too big. Part of that is because we don't take any old or outmoded laws off the books. There are still laws in South Carolina that ban playing pinball if you're under the age of 18. In Michigan, prosecutors filed criminal charges against a 10-year-old who, during a dodgeball game, threw a ball at another kid's face and hurt him. This is a kid that was playing on the playground with his friends. Bryce was charged with aggravated assault. Is this 10-year-old a criminal? No. The prosecutor said she dropped the case, yes. but that it was sustainable and she could prosecute. Anyone can be prosecuted for almost anything. It can be something as simple as lying to your boss over the phone about why you didn't come in. That could constitute wire fraud. <laughs> Taking a rake from New York State 
into New Jersey. That's actually a federal crime. If you ever had a rake in, your, in the back of your pickup truck and crossed state lines, you probably committed uh, a federal crime. Who cares? Nobody goes to jail for this. That doesn't mean that it's not a problem. Legal compliance is not free. It takes time. It takes money. It takes effort. It violates just fundamental norms about fairness. During a hurricane in North Carolina, Tammy Hedges sheltered some animals. The goal was to make sure that they were not out there drowning. She didn't have this registered as a shelter. Tammy Hedges is charged with misdemeanor practicing or attempting veterinary medicine without a license. The prosecutor says a passion and love of animals is laudable, but it does not excuse unnecessarily putting their health at risk. The idea that these people were engaged in the sort of behavior that ought to be met with jail time really does seem to, to belie reality. How did we get to this point with so many laws that even lawyers can't count them? I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. We were taught that the Constitution created checks and balances to prevent bad bills from becoming law. Everyone has this idea from Schoolhouse Rock that a law gets made in a particular way. Now I go to the House of Representatives and they vote on me. That's not how it works in practice. At the federal level, 98% of criminal laws are not passed by elected representatives. They are created entirely by unelected bureaucrats who, who don't have to answer to anyone. In Denver, the Metro bar manager hauled off to jail for infusing vodka. It is illegal to infuse it yourself and then sell it. Here you've got a really creative bartender trying to come up with a good idea for an artisan cocktail and comes up with some really good concoction that his customers want. The on-duty manager was hauled off to jail. The bar manager was jailed for three days? Yeah, he didn't know that this was a crime, but it didn't matter. No patron complained because they got sick. This was enforced solely to appease some competitor who just didn't have the same sort of edge a or creativity. Competitor, another bar. A huge part of this is driven by established players in certain fields seeking to erect barriers to entry. Barriers to entry, bottlenecks that limit competition. The old businesses get the laws passed to That's keep right. newcomers out. That's right. They can afford the lobbyists and they can afford to comply with all the crazy webs of regulations. So if you've got an established cookie business, you don't want a grandma from down the street who has a better recipe than you being able to cut into your business by just making her famous cookies. So you go to the legislature and you ask them to pass all kinds of arduous rules about an industrial kitchen and all this expensive equipment that you need in order to qualify to participate in this business. And then who gets to decide? The very people who are established in this business. Is that what happened to Marisa Ruelas? Ruelas got caught selling ceviche in a Facebook group, which is illegal. She wasn't even actively selling it. It was solicited <laughs> by an sort of undercover uh, investigator in this special unit to enforce these. Really sting kinda, operation. It was a sting operation. The DA's office works to keep an even playing field for businesses. At the root of a lot of the overcriminalization problem is this anti-competitive sort of nature of, of established players who want to use the government to, to, to keep them protected from competition, and that's just not right. Last example. In Kentucky, Holland Kendall gave eyeglasses to people who couldn't afford to pay eye doctors. The optometry board then announced it's a crime. If eyeglasses provided are not new, first quality, and made to meet the individual's personal prescriptions, and they need to have a license. In other words, they need to have the blessing of the established players in this field. And 
in order to, to provide a service to indigent people. Why would the prosecutor eagerly enforce this? You can't have uh, some office with a budget line um, in the state budget exist for years on end without ever actually doing anything. When you give the government this kind of power, they're going to exercise it at some point. Overcriminalization puts all of us at risk of being prosecuted for things that we don't even know are illegal. People commit crimes all the time without knowing it because it's impossible to know what sort of behavior is criminal. When they get labeled as criminals, that stays with them through their whole life. Trillion, trillion, trillion dollar plan. All the presidential candidates want to spend much more of your money. $738 billion. $400 billion. Thank you, sir. All promise people free stuff. Free. 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 Who promises the most free stuff? Last year, we tallied the leading candidates' campaign promises. Kamala Harris was the leader. Working families need support. Fortunately, it didn't bring her sustained support. Kamala Harris is dropping out of the presidential race. Unfortunately, now the remaining candidates pledge to spend even more. $70 billion to repair and expand. So it's time for a new contest. Who now promises voters the most free stuff? We tallied their spending proposals. The orange are their previous ones. The green, new promises. We'll break it into categories, starting with education. College, community college, they should be free. In addition, Joe Biden would cut student loan debt in half, increase Pell Grants, and spend $10 billion a year to modernize schools. Add that to his previous proposals, and Biden would increase spending by $157 billion every year. And Biden they call the moderate. Quadruple the funding of Title I schools. Elizabeth Warren would spend even more. She'd also increase family support and social services. Spend more on students with disabilities. Improve school buildings. All in addition to her previous promises. Provide universal child care for every baby in this country, age zero to five. Universal pre-K for every child. Raise the wages of every child care worker and preschool teacher in America. Provide for universal tuition-free college. Put $50 billion into historically black colleges. Thank and you, cancel, Senator Warren. No, let me finish, please. And cancel student loan debt. $277 billion. She beats Biden, but not Sanders. This proposal completely eliminate student debt. He'd forgive all student loans, even for the rich. Sanders also wants free childcare and pre-K. And he'd give $15 billion to black colleges. Mayor Pete also promises free childcare and more pay for teachers. More career education. Free college Pell Grants plus refinancing of student debt. So who wins the education round? All the Democrats claim they can do something useful about climate change. Biden would spend $170 billion a year. Buttigieg, $150 to $200 billion. Warren, $300 billion. And Sanders? You have a $16 trillion plan. $16 trillion. 
over 15 years, more than a trillion dollars of your money every year. Building on Obamacare. It cost about $750 billion over 10 years. Biden wants to build out Obamacare, including coverage for people not here legally. Mayor Pete wants the same thing, but he'd spend twice as much. My plan costs $1.5 trillion over a decade. Plus long-term care and mental health support. But his plan just has... A small improvement, and that's why it is that they cost so much less. Spend more, says Elizabeth Warren. Offer health care to all of our people. She'd spend $2 trillion a year. And Sanders' plan? How much would it cost? Somewhere between 30 and 40 trillion over a 10 year period. More than $3 trillion a year. Sanders wins the medical round. In the welfare category, Joe Biden, to his credit, proposes no new spending. At least none we found. If we've missed things, let us know in the comments section below. Mayor Pete, by contrast, has been cranking out lots of new promises affordable housing, expand social security payments beyond what people paid in. Warren would give kids more food stamps and spend more on affordable housing. Sanders would spend even more for things like a housing for all plan. The right to affordable housing and more to guarantee everyone a job. Increase retirement benefits and give more people food stamps. In the welfare category, Sanders wins. Finally, the grab bag round. Biden does have proposals here. A $120 billion infrastructure plan. Grants to female survivors of violence. New foreign aid for Central America. And more. Sanders wants billions for high-speed internet and minority business development. Buttigieg has a plan for that and also to expand national service like the Peace Corps. And he has a big infrastructure plan. Elizabeth Warren also wants to give more to minority businesses. And she'd force government to buy American-made products. Must be manufactured right here in America. She'd increase subsidies for exports. Give more debt relief to Puerto Rico. And provide access to high-speed internet everywhere in America. Biden wins this round. But what about our president? Government spending rose more than half a trillion dollars during the Trump administration. And he wants still new spending for infrastructure, the military, and more money for access to high-quality, affordable child care, and more. Now the final tally. At least Trump wants to spend less than the Democrats. Biden wants to spend twice as much as Trump and almost double what Biden proposed last year. Buttigieg beats him with $752 billion in proposals. Senator Warren proposes four times that. 
but Bernie Sanders now blows them all out of the water. With near $5 trillion in proposed spending. In the race to spend your money, Sanders is the winner. You are the losers. If you like these videos, please subscribe to this channel and hit the notification bell. And if you want to help us make more, click that button. Varney Regular, Kristen Tate, written a new book, and it is called The Liberal Invasion of Red State America. Ooh, sounds ominous. Mm. And she joins us now. Kristen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Stuart. Now then, the premise of your book is that blue state people moving because of high taxes, but they take their politics with them to red states and turn them like slightly purplish. Right. Just give me an example. Right. So, well, residents are fleeing these high tax blue states in record numbers, going to low tax red states yep. like Texas, and uh, they take their politics with them often. This trend is so significant that New York and California are set to lose congressional seats, while Florida and Texas are set to gain congressional seats. Now, on one hand, this trend is vindicating to Republicans who have been preaching conservative yep. fiscal policy for years. On the other hand, it's going to make it harder for Republicans to win future elections. Why? Uh, so uh, the 10 fastest growing states last year were all low tax states and yeah. all of these places trended to the left in the 2018 elections. Look at Texas. Cities in Texas are growing faster than cities in any other state. And now Texas could really become a swing state. People laugh at me when I say that, but, but it's, it's but, true. But said, that is because blue state people have moved to like Austin, Texas, yes, in taken large their part. politics with them and they don't, they, they, they cling on to higher taxes and the Democrat Party. Well, but I don't get it. Why would an interesting that? part of this story that I discovered as I was researching for my new book was that blue state residents who move to red state cities are likely to vote for Democrats, while those who move to red state rural areas or even suburban areas are more likely to vote for Republicans. So this is largely an urban versus rural story, uh, and and each state is becoming a lot more polarized. But overall, red states seem to represent the economic future. I mean, think about it. Story if you're a young person just starting your life out, would you rather be in Arizona or Texas where you can keep more of your money, rent is more affordable, and jobs are bountiful, or be in California or New York where up to 50% of your paycheck is going to various levels of taxes and then whatever you've got left is going to your sky-high rent? For many people, this is a no-brainer. Kristen, let me assure you that if you make serious money and you live in New York City, you lose way more oh. than half your income, and that's a fact. Yes, yeah, New Yorkers are paying 12.7% on average just on state and city taxes. The average rent for a one-bedroom apartment in Brooklyn and Manhattan is $3,000 a month. And of course, you know, these building restrictions and rent control policies championed by Bill de Blasio and his ilk just make this problem and worse. And his ilk, ilk. that's a pejorative <laughs> and his ill. It's a good one. Kristen, the book is out today. Tell me the title again. The Liberal Invasion of Red State America. I break down what's going on with this trend, but there are lots of reasons to be optimistic, and I, I outline those reasons as well. Next time you're on the show, I want the optimism stuff. Okay? Not that negative good. stuff. Kristen, thank you very thank much. Thank you, Stuart.
Time now, 34 minutes after the hour. Americans are moving from blue states to red states at a stunning pace. And while it's great news for those looking to escape liberal policies and hefty tax bills, could mean a complete overhaul of our country's political landscape. So will we see this shift turn traditionally red southern states like Texas blue? Here with her analysis, contributor for The Hill and author of The Liberal Invasion of Red State America, Kristen Tate. Kristen, good morning. Good morning. You are very appropriately coming to us from Texas, and you say that uh, the state runs the risk of turning into a blue state, a Democratic state. Tell us why. That's right. People are fleeing high-tax blue states for low-tax red states in record numbers, and this trend will have significant consequences politically. It already is. Uh, New York and California are both set to lose congressional seats due to population losses, while Texas and Florida are both set to pick up seats. Republican-run states have done well, generally speaking, because of their low taxes, business-friendly regulatory environments, and right-to-work laws. Some parts of the country where uh, these sorts of laws are are in place, there are so many jobs available that there aren't enough people to fill them. In Texas, for example, we have a program set up specifically to recruit workers from other parts of the country. So on one hand, this trend is very vindicating to Republicans as people flock to parts of the country mm. with conservative fiscal policy. But on the other hand, this trend is going to pose significant threats to Republicans electorally because there's data that shows a large portion of blue state migrants end up voting in favor of the same policies they fled once they arrive in red states. Yeah, Kristen, let's take a look at the Texas map and you can see exactly Exactly what you're discussing from 2014 to 2018 House Republicans decreasing 98 back there in 2014 you see right there down to 83 a loss of 15 seats in just 15, uh, in just four years and this really begs the $64,000 question if blue state <laughs> residents love red state policy so much that they move to the red states why are they bringing their blue state voting patterns with them it's a great question. People just tend to go where the jobs are uh, without realizing why the jobs are there. Uh, if you look at the top fastest growing states last year, the top 10, uh, they were all low tax states and all of these places trended to the left in the 2018 elections. Uh, Texas, we are home to some of the fastest growing cities in the country. Democrats did better here in Texas in 2018 than they have in two decades. This trend of blue states losing people has been going on for a number of years, but the 2017 Republican tax cuts really sped up this trend by capping the state and local tax deduction at $10,000. This is a cap that a lot of wealthy blue state residents easily exceed. So, you know, if you're in New York and you're paying an average of 12.8% in taxes just for your state and local taxes, you now have all the more incentive to pack up and go to a low tax state like Florida or Texas. But this is more than just taxes, you guys. This is about quality of life and affordability. I ran an analysis for my new book, which found that $100 only buys you about $90 worth of services in New York and California. That same $100 bill will get you about $110 worth of goods and services in Texas, uh, Florida, and across much of the Midwest. Yeah. So it's up to red state natives to explain to their new neighbors why their homes have flourished so that these new people who move in don't completely change the states, jack up the costs, and increase taxes. Well, we have it right here. The states Americans are moving out of the quickest. California, New York, Illinois, New Jersey, and Massachusetts. Uh, we only have about 30 seconds left, but what do you think all of this means for the 2020 presidential election? 
It means that Republicans will have to start spending time and resources campaigning in places they usually take for granted. Even if Texas doesn't become a blue state, just as it becomes purple, Republicans will have to spend more time on the ground. And it's really sad to see places like New York losing so many residents. I love New York. I love L.A. But unfortunately, a lot of these blue state meccas that are bleeding residents just double down on the policies that created yeah. the dismal situations there in the first place. Kristen, so I, I really hope people have their eyes open to this trend and yeah. we see a reversal. A really interesting analysis. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Look at this headline. It is from The Hill. Quote, a GOP-led edge red states see less unemployment, more economic growth. Kristen Tate, an opinion contributor for The Hill, and she wrote that article. Kristen, this seems to dovetail precisely with the blue state exodus over high taxes. Mm -hmm. Spell it out, please. Yeah, you're exactly right. When you look at the last election cycle and you compare it with economic data, a trend becomes very clear, which is that electing a Republican governor, even without a matching GOP state house, generally means that your state will see less unemployment and more growth among the 20 states with the lowest unemployment, or actually the 23 states, because three states tied for 20th place. 17 of them had a Republican governor prior to 2018. North Dakota is a great example. That state has a 2.5% unemployment rate. It's really prospered in recent years because the Republican leadership has uh, embraced fracking technology. And the kind of growth we're talking about, Stort, really benefits workers at all levels of the economic ladder. Uh, people like waiters and servers in places like North Dakota, Utah, and Florida are bringing home multiples of the federal minimum wage. Some are taking home as much as $20 an hour. So the big takeaway that I want to convey here is that these GOP champion principles like low lower taxes and you know business friendly regulatory environments they are creating booming economies in red states now is this a trend which is speeding up becoming more obvious what do you think Oh, of course. As these red states are booming, we're seeing blue states like Connecticut and New York see their residents flee. New York City in particular, I mean, New York is losing 280 residents per day. And I want to underline how important the role of the governor is in these states. These people play a monumental role in the economic success of states because these people are, are really shepherding legislation through the lawmaking process and setting the agenda in the states. So 11 governors seats are up for grabs in 2020 and we can only hope that the residents in these states understand these trends and see what's going on. Now we've we've seen numbers of people leaving like California, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, but we've not really broken down the numbers in terms of who is leaving these high-tax states. I take it it's people with money. Can you confirm that? It is. It's high earners, but not only high earners stored, also middle income earners. People go where the jobs are and corporations are more frequently locating to red states with more friendly uh, business environments, places like Texas, like Florida. So people will flock to where the jobs are. And generally speaking, there are some exceptions, but generally speaking, for young workers, more established people in their careers and retirees, moving to a red state means you can hold on to more of your hard earned capital. You have a better chance at starting your own business and the power of your dollar is far greater. Generally speaking, Republicans who run these states understand that individuals know how to spend their money far better than the government does. Would you call yourself a Republican, Kristen? 
I'm kind of a, an, a libertarian-leaning Republican. Okay, that'll work. I made the move from New York to Texas a couple years ago, yeah. and it was the best thing I ever did. Really? You did? I didn't <laughs> get to know hold that. on to okay. more of my money. I don't get hit with that state income tax yeah, anymore. Wait, wait, wait. The cost of living like is Texas? much better. Do you like Texas? I love it. The people are awesome. They're friendly. Everyone kind of understands, you know, why the Texas economy is so strong. There's a common mindset that really bonds the people of Texas together. And more and more people are jumping on board and making that move from places like California and New York, Texas, Florida, Arizona. These states are the future of of. Uh, the, the prosperity of the United States. Yeah, I hear you, Kristen, but I live in New Jersey. Hi, Kristen Tate, everyone. Uh, thank you very much <laughs> I'm indeed. So sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm so just, yeah, sorry. It's okay, don't worry, I'm doing all right. Thanks, Kristen. <laughs> See you soon. Thank ah, you, look sir. at this. A man ran his van into a tent full of Trump supporters during a voter registration drive on Saturday, nearly killing at least one person before fleeing the scene. Oh, I'm sorry. You didn't hear about that? You must still watch the news because God knows it wasn't on there. At the scene on Saturday said that 27-year-old Gregory Tim plowed his van into a tent housing six Trump supporters who were registering people to vote in the parking lot of the Kernan Village Shopping Center in Jacksonville, Florida. Now, he didn't hit anyone, thank God, but he did run over a bunch of tables and chairs and knock down all the signs, missing one person by about six inches before flipping everyone off and speeding away. Now, he has since been arrested and charged with two counts of aggravated assault on a person 65 years or older, one count of criminal mischief, and driving on a suspended license. Now, can you imagine if a Trump supporter had rammed his car into a tent full of Bernie supporters trying to register people to vote? No, scratch that. Can you imagine if a Trump supporter who looked like this had rammed his car into a tent full of Bernie supporters trying to register people to vote? I can see the headlines for days. Trump voter mows down peaceful socialists in an attempted voter suppression. MAGA man targets presidential opponents as Trump dumps fuel on national divide. White nationalist with Nazi haircut plows into terrified Bernie voters in Trump's America. Can you see it? CNN would have had 14 expert panels to talk about this all day long. Rachel Maddow would have gone on a spiraling 37-minute monologue. Don Lemon would be using this to call all the backwater hick Trump voters a bunch of violent inbred Nazis. Oh, but see, this was a guy driving through a crowd of Republicans just trying to sign people up to exercise their right to vote. So we don't need headlines. In fact, ABC, CBS, and NBC completely ignored this story on all their evening shows Saturday night. Come Sunday morning, only NBC's Sunday Today thought this was worth any airtime, but only about 25 seconds. Which is funny because I thought that someone making the okay hand gesture at a sporting event or in a firefighter's group photo, that was enough to spark outrage and demands for an investigation. But a dude drives his van through a tent full of Republicans and let's all talk about who's wearing what at the Academy Awards instead. This is such a freaking joke. Trump voters have been punched and shot at for wearing MAGA hats, assaulted leaving Trump rallies, spit on, kicked, cursed at, chased out of businesses, doxxed online, had themselves and their families threatened, and been placed at the epicenter of national ridicule and now targeted by a crazy dude in a van. And yet somehow they're the ones stirring up violence and trying to suppress the vote? Really? Yeah, okay. 
See, the only way that you would buy that pile of lies is if you don't know about any of this. If you only read the national headlines or watch Chris Cuomo run his pie hole all day, that's the only way that you come out of any of this thinking conservatives are the ones stoking this divide and looking to beat people down in the streets. You would never know that on the same day that thousands of gun-toting Second Amendment advocates rallied in Virginia and not a single punch was thrown or a single shot fired, Antifa was verbally assaulting black Trump supporters in Seattle. You would never know that this jackhole ran his vehicle into a tent full of Republicans just trying to sign people up to vote, which I've been told is the left's most sacred of cows behind abortion. You would never know that these six people could have just lost their lives because they're not on the side of the political aisle that the media find worth mentioning. Because there's no possible way that these elitist snobs with their microphones will tell you the truth about who is actually stirring up violence in this country. It would smash their whole narrative to bits. So you know what? We will. And that's your Reality Check America. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube page, like us on Facebook and Twitter, and stay sane out there.